God bless you. Pastor Stephen, please. Thank you, and amen to that. Thank you, Pastor Philip. Well, it is March Madness time of year. Already had some madness over the weekend. My team, University of Virginia, is not even going to go to the NCAA, so it's not going to be quite as fun. But uh, our, my wife and I, we normally do the brackets. You know, we can do the brackets this year. She's, she likes doing those brackets. So, um, do you notice the orange tie? Just asking, just wondering. You noticed that? <clears throat> That's a happy Tennessee boy. All right. Well, signs of the times, part two. And I think pretty much anybody and everybody who, uh, you know, is just living today is wondering whether they're a believer, whether a Christian or not. You know, could this be the end of the world? What if World War III happened? Could this really happen? And, and, uh, and you know, even Jesus doesn't know when the Father's going to send him back. He knows he's coming. The Bible's clear that Jesus is coming back. But uh, even Jesus doesn't know the time, the hour, or the day. So with that, we need not have anxiety about that, but be excited about it. He is definitely coming back. It might be in my lifetime. It might be in some of these young people's lifetime. It might be in my children's and children's children's lifetime. It could be generations after that, but he is coming back, and he's bringing perfect justice to the earth, because he is the perfect judge. So the subtitle of this message is, uh, the title of Signs of the Times, the subtitle is, And Then the End Will Come. And Jesus, in the passage we looked at last week, has this phrase, and we're going to go back and look at this again and let it springboard us into our teaching today. And we're going through the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 16, and, and I'm just, I'm excited what I found as I dug a little deeper. I'm just excited about what I found in, in chapter 16. So uh, turn with me, though, to Matthew chapter 24, where I'll review uh, some of what we did last week. As you turn there, um, let us pray. Father, thank you that your word is eternal, and yet it is so personal, real. You have something in it for each one of us today, because you love us. You want to speak to us. You want to communicate to us today. So I ask you to help us have open ears. Amen. So last week, we were looking in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is starts putting a list of things to be aware of. He said, don't, don't desire, don't like demand signs from God, but they are around, just like you look at the weather and you can say, oh gosh, it's getting cloudy, it's going to rain tonight. He says, there are signs around, so be aware of those things. And he starts listing them in Matthew 24. And he said in verse 6, you'll be hearing wars and rumors of wars. You'll, you'll, but he said, don't be frightened. Because these things will take place, but it's not yet the end. And then he says, there'll be some famines, there'll be some earthquakes in the world, there'll be uh, uh, you know, other things, but these are just the beginning of birth pains. And, he, and if you've had a baby, you can relate. that It's not the actual birth, but it's these, these contractions that start happening Early on, and, and they may they may stay, they may you know get you know more often and more intense. But right now, they're just the beginning of birth pains. And it says that loneliness will increase, but most people's love uh, will grow cold. So she's warning us: this lawlessness. It's in fact, it'll be so lawless that that there will be Christians who will be killed. There'll be Christians that'll be hated. And there'll be false prophets that'll come. And yet it's still not the end yet. It's just these beginning of birth pangs, these, the beginning of things. 
But God says that those who endure, and we have grace to do that, He promises the grace and power to do that, no matter what circumstances or obstacles or challenges in our life, He promises the power and grace to endure to the end so we'll be saved. And then He gives this this verse 14 of Matthew 24. It says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he gives like this this additional sign at the end of this passage. He says that this gospel, this good news of salvation, it's, it's going to be preached through the whole world as a witness, as a testimony, as a This is the truth. This is the way. This is your hope right here to all the nations. And then he, he, there is an end. There is an end. And when all that happens in in God's view, in the Father's view, looking over all the nations of the world, then the end will come. That those last events of the last days and Jesus' return will happen. Well, let me give you a little clue about this, um, about this, these words, because it would feel like, and it's a legitimate argument, that all the countries, there's 195 countries in the earth today, that the gospel, there's some form of Christianity somewhere in, in every one of those 195 countries, and that's true. But there's a detail here. The word nations, when it says that's a testimony to all the nations, is the Greek word ethne or ethnos in, in, the, in the singular. And that's a Greek word, we'll go to that definition there, that's translated here as nations. It means peoples or tribes, but rather than those political legal countries. And... So what's happening here is Jesus saying, you know, all those tribes, all those different languages, and you go to one country, one nation, there can be hundreds of languages, people groups in that one nation. In, in the Western modern world, uh, kind of Western contemporary world, that, that the language barriers have, are, it, you know, aren't as is often they're not as where we've all are English, you know, speak English, but yet we do have Hispanics. We have other languages, but they, but they normally end up learning English, etc. But in the less developed world uh, countries of the world, there can be literal tribes that not only speak a different language, but they hate that other tribe down the river. And talk about racism, prejudice, and. Wars, I mean, they, they have wars and rumors of wars because they've, they've been f- fighting a tribe down the river for centuries. And so even though there's not much distance between them, you think you can get in a motorboat, be there real quick, or get in a car, well, it's still a different people, a different culture. It's a whole different uh, little nation there, ethnicity. And that's where... We believe, those who kind of study this believe in the missions world movement that have been out there spreading the gospel in these countries, that that's really how you, if you're going to start counting, it's not 195 nations, it's more close to, it's close to 17,000 people groups in the earth. So I want to spend a little time on this because I actually want you to be praying for me. This Friday, I leave to go to Kurdistan, and I'm going to tell you some things about Kurdistan, but it's in, it's in a part of the world where there are uh, you know, unreached people groups. What is an unreached people group, Stephen? That's a term that these missionaries and missiologists and scholars have developed in their, in their work in the world, and the it's, it's this, unreached people groups exist around the world where there are no indigenous communities of believers. Okay, stop. What's that big word? Indigenous communities of believers. All it says that these are places, these tribes, these, these uh, uh, people groups that do not have a local church. 
to be a testimony, a witness of salvation and and godly marriage and discipleship, how to get closer to Jesus and have worship. There might be some missionaries out there reaching out to them, starting ministry. There might be a a missionary learning the language because they don't have the Bible in their own language. And that takes years because they got to learn the language. And then they got to create a way to write it down. And then they got to write down uh, maybe a book of the New Testament and start teaching. This is how you say, this is how you write this word. And so this can take years to happen to get the gospel to that people. And then finally they start uh, giving their life to Christ. And then and then when the missionaries have let these uh, uh, national local people become mature in the Lord and they become leaders. And then they're leading a local church. It's not a local church led by, you know, some Westerner from a foreign land. But no, they're leading there. And this is a testimony. This is a witness. We have a body of Christ here in our tribe, in our, in our people, in our ethnicity. Another piece about what is an unreached people group, it's not whether, just whether there's a local church there or not, but is a, is a people group is considered unreached when they're less than or equal to 2% of professing Christians in the area. Now, they've gone on, and I, and I didn't write this down to, to remember which ones, but there's other terms that they developed, the unengaged, where there's not any missionaries there, and then even frontier peoples, where there's so few Christians, you can't hardly find anybody. So there's people in the thousands and thousands of people in the world that don't even know a Christian and when you say the name Jesus, they don't even know what you're talking about. You have a friend in Jesus? Yeah, a neighbor of yours lives in the house, neighbor. You know what? Well, hey, I mean, they, they don't even have any context that's happening right now as we speak. Even though the Internet seems to go everywhere, there's places that don't have Internet, folks. Or Internet in their language. And I do really mean I'll, I want your prayers and I'll, uh, after the service is as uh, we do the closing and so forth, I'll be down here and I'll ask uh, the Israel missions team and, and, and the missions uh, uh, committee as well to come down and any others to just pray for me here as I'll be, uh, be leaving this Friday morning. Let me give you more understanding about these, this region of the world that's unreached. And... God wants to change that. His heart is for them to be reached. And that's what we're going to get into is his heart for those who do not have a local church, those who do not have that witness. But they developed a term called the 1040 window. And the 1040 window is 10 degrees north of the equator and 40 degrees north of the equator is this band of countries, mostly in Africa in Asia, Middle East, uh, that are that's where the world religions kind of are intensely populated. The the Muslims, the um, uh, Hindu, Buddhists, and animists. And in this ten forty window, it's kind of big rectangular on a, on a world map. It's I'll give you some stats of what it's like. Fifty percent of the world's population lives in this ten forty window. 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists do not personally know a Christian. Next one. Uh, 3% of all missionaries worldwide are working among the most unreached. Only 3%. And then 2% of America's total missions donations are going to the 1040 window. Only 2%. One reason, because in a, in a Muslim country it can be dangerous to share the gospel it's even just hard to get in there and with passport issues and be able to stay there or it could be up in some jungle mountain somewhere and it's just hard to get to so here's a map to let you kind of get a feel for this that red yellow area that's kind of in general the 1040 uh, uh, range there and an estimated 16,562 total people groups in the world, 6,847 are unreached people groups of the 16. That's about 40%. 
That's about almost 3 billion people of the close to 8 billion on the earth. And those countries in red marked there, and that's northern Africa, the Middle East, into Asia, of the red only have 2 percent of evangelical Christians there. And so this is no small task or calling. And I want to tell you, this is on the heart of God. Israel is in the middle of this 1040 window. I want you to know that we as an Israel missions committee are still praying and looking toward having Israel trips available again. I was in talk just uh, the end of last year with Go International uh, to look at that possibility in 2022, uh, 2022. And then the, the, the virus variant came and Israel locked on down again, but I've been in communication again with Go International, a great organization in, uh, based out of Wilmore that's been going to Israel lately about us joining another uh, a regional church either later this year or next. And so, so um, I'll get you more information as, as those details unfold. But, you know, Jesus gives these commands about reaching the world and In Mark 16, verse 15, he says, and this is his last conversation before he ascended into heaven, he said, and he said to these disciples before he went to heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This has been true of the the life of a ministry of Sean and Katie Ellis. Talking to him this week. You know, even though... He's lived in the United States and Hawaii and now for a number of years, Taiwan. He's been a traveling teacher for many of those years where he went into 1040 window with teaching of the gospel to train up leaders. Sparrow Missions has been in Honduras for almost uh, was it nine, ten years. And, uh, and they are now... Um, uh, and you'll hear about it next Sunday because Justin and Ashley Ross are going to be speaking next Sunday. Justin said he's going to set it up and start off and pass the baton to Ashley. I've heard her speak and teach before. She's excellent. You're really going to look forward to this. But they are in a transition where they're going to start a new Spare Missions uh, uh, you know, ministry center in Thailand in the 1040 window where there's unreached people groups that they could get to. They're answering that call, this call out of uh, Matthew 24, which said, Jesus said, the gospel will be preached to all ethnicities and people groups and languages, and then the end will come. Sparrow is a, is a model missions organization. Justin, as they're moving out of Honduras, they have trained the local young new believers in discipleship. Now they're leaders. In fact, Chris Lopez, who received Christ as, a, uh, as I think, an 18-year-old, 17-year-old there, as a helper translator for them, ended up giving his heart to Christ, and now he's going to be the executive director of the Honduras Mission. That's exactly the model where you, you just let the discipleship happen and let them grow up in the callings and giftings they have. You don't stand in the way, and, and that's God's design. I want to talk about Kurdistan a little bit. I'm going with an organization called FAIMission.org. If you want to look it online, they have some pretty cool videos and movies that they actually produce. FAI mission, it stands for Frontier Alliance International. And this is an organization that Martin Mallory, who's been um, available for us as a counselor, he's a professor at Asbury Seminary. He comes out of Wilmore on Wednesdays and here over at uh, uh, at the annex here. Um, offers counseling on Wednesdays, and, and so many of you, you know, know him and respect him. And uh, Martin 
you know, began ministry to Israel as Joel and Carol introduced him and Sharon to leaders in the land, they opened the doors to his ministry, and he's been doing counseling ministry and training there for a number of years. Somebody that he ended up meeting as a ministry, FAI, that's headquartered in the Golan Heights, which is northern Israel, but they have missionaries mainly through the Middle East. And he's become like their, their counselor to the missionaries. He's on their board as well. I mean, he's on like a part-time staff with them. And he travels to Kurdistan and even several other places, and he just counsels missionaries and couples and families. And um, uh, in fact, he's going to be there in Kurdistan. Some of the days I'm going to be there will be in different cities, though, uh, so we won't actually run into each other. So Martin is, has been one that has just been sharing this vision about ministry to the Kurds and about who they are. And you know what? You, once, you, once you meet one person, you meet a lot of people who have a heart for the Kurds. Right now, Fielding Neal's oldest daughter, daughter, Holly, Holly Fulsom, who's been doing ministry and missions out of Hawaii for, you know, for many years. Their kids are grown. They're still doing short-term trips, and they're with a doctor right now in Kurdistan in a city. If I understand her itinerary and my itinerary, I'll be in that same city uh, a week after she's there. And uh, she'll be coming back as uh, I'll be flying over. Cheryl Tolbert, many of you remember her? Lived here in Shelbyville for a while, part of this church. Lives in Nashville, but really got into missions again in in that time of her life. She's in Kurdistan, and I I, I forgot the dates, but I think it's going to actually overlap when we're there. Uh, And she leaves soon to go as well. Well, you know, when you look at a map, it's hard to find Kurdistan. Why is that? Because even though they are people, they are ethnicity, they're one of those big, it's a large people group, but they don't have their own uh, national government. And it's really a, a sad story. Uh, this, uh, this is the area where the Medes empire grew and expanded. And so they have much of their roots of the 7th century B.C. Uh, was the Medes empire. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, he uh, was a servant to the kings. And Darius, was who ruled during his uh, later years there, he, he counseled Darius, who was a Mede. Uh, at some history, and I'm not really good at history, but at some point the Islamic Caliphate moved in and forced those people to be Muslims. But they never became uh, is, you know, uh, extreme Muslims. They're moderate Muslims. In fact, they even to this day are allies with Israel and are also friends with the United States. The Ottoman Empire was that Muslim empire for, from the 14th to 20th centuries. And then when World War II happened, they sided, the Ottoman Empire sided with uh, Hitler. And so they were, uh, after the war, they were broken up in different segments. And they... They were going to get a piece of land and have their own borders and their own land. But with the different treaties happened, Turkey got land instead, and they didn't get anything. And so if you look at this map, they live in five different countries. These uh, kind of yellow dots you see in these, uh, this is four countries here, uh, are, represent, I believe, one million each. And so, in the, so they're around these borders this, of these, these four countries. Iran, which is home of, of, you know, ISIS and other terrorist organizations. The Kurds have 8 million people. And Turkey is, looks like the largest group of around 18 million. In Syria, there's around 2 million. And in Iraq, there's about 4 million. And in northern Iraq, they're allowed to have a parliament. And they're kind of like a state within that nation. They are the ones that have been the enemy of ISIS. And so Arabs and, is, and extremist Islamic leaders don't like them. They're hated. You may have heard of the Kurds through the 1980s when Saddam Hussein, with chemical warfare and others, 
there's been estimates from 100 to 180,000 people that he killed. But it's an amazing group of people. We believe, they believe, and they claim that, yes, it was the three magi that come see Jesus and gives him gifts. They were Medes. They were from us. In Acts 2, when the, 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 the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes down, they list all those nations of people that were uh, there when the Holy Spirit came. Uh, so there were Jews that came from uh, the, the Parthians and the Medes, and they were there in Jerusalem that day. They were, became kind of really acknowledged in 2014 when they defeated ISIS in a couple of different areas around, and they were really um, honored, and they have a number of women units. They're tough, they're trained. I've, I've seen the interviews of these women uh, army captains and, and fighters. It was very disheartening, but uh, the way Trump, President Trump in 2019 uh, actually quickly uh, removed American uh, forces and influences in um, northern Syria, and that allowed Turkey to just come in and, and do some decimation of the Kurds just in 2019. There's a phrase that says that we have no friends but the mountains. And really their whole region through those four nations are mountainous. See, Jesus is going to fulfill his words in, in the word of God. It says in Revelation 7, 9, it's talking, giving us a vision of what heaven looks like. And it says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. See, there are some tribes and peoples that are, aren't yet able to represent their nation in heaven. So there's more work to be done. It says again in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and they sang a new song saying, Were there you, talking about the Lamb who's uh, going to open the books, to you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So this is going to happen. Now, if you start predicting, well, you know, how long is that going to take to take this gospel throughout all these, uh, you know, thousands of unreached people groups? How long is that going to take? It could take many years, decades, maybe generations or the book of Acts is starting to happen again. And what they're saying is that the way the word of God would spread through uh, towns and villages, like we read in the book of Acts, and the word of God spread throughout this certain region, and it's starting to happen where it's not a slow growth and, you know, this methodical step by step. No, they're getting saved and they are quickly witnessing to their friends and family who are quickly witnessing and they're getting quickly four generations of people getting saved and so they're they're having to disciple they're discipling new believers all the time and they're growing in their leadership and they're starting these little churches and so this gospel is spreading as we speak or could god just do more of what he's doing often in the middle east when he shows up at someone at night and he says hey i'm jesus i'm the true messiah and he can, by his own uh, visions and dreams, or by sending angels, can bring revival in places that don't know him yet. It's going to happen, and it's on a time clock that only the Father knows. If we are charged to take the gospel to all nations, I was looking at this verse, and I was going, well, God, what, what really is the gospel? Well, you know, Stephen, you know, you've been a pastor and I've been in church. We know what the gospel is. It's, it's you, you need to, uh, you know, ask Jesus in your heart. You, you turn from your sin and, and say, I don't want that anymore. I want, I want you, Jesus, and, and uh, I, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I believe that uh, you really did die on the cross. And so I say that prayer and then, you know, I'm a Christian. That's the gospel. And that's true. That's some of the basics right there, right? Well, Jesus is teaching, he 
makes it, brings it home when he talks about the gospel. He brings it home. And I found in Matthew 16, 16 if we can get through all of them, I'll go quickly. There's five keys to the gospel that Jesus gives. So let's go back to Matthew 16, if you would. Verse 12, what's happening in this paragraph is Jesus says, hey. Verse 12, he says, then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're saying, look, did y'all bring the bread? Oh, we forgot the bread. Oh, gosh, what's, what's, what are we doing? We're on this trip. We don't have any bread. And, and, and Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about bread. You know, we've, I've already multiplied bread for the 5,000. For the 40. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the leaven of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what is their teaching? Let's sum it up real quick. These are religious leaders who set up a bunch of rules and regulations for everyone to live by. They couldn't even live by, so, by, by themselves. To get their righteousness, to say, I'm, I'm right with God and you're not. I'm better than you. You need to do it like I do it. And they had all these rules and regu- regulations. And he's saying, watch for that leaven because it creeps in. Leaven creeps in, right? I don't bake or cook. But, you know, I hear that leaven creeps in and it grows slowly. Don't let it grow slowly. So... One of the keys to the gospel is, number one, don't rely on human effort for your right standing with God. Your right standing with God, your righteousness comes as a free gift from God. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast and brag. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at a good person. Because this is American Christianity as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm... I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'll, I'll go to heaven because, because, you know, I'm a good person. I don't, you know, I haven't murdered anybody, I'm, you know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't get in fights and hate people and beat them up and, you know, I'm a good person. I mean, you ought to see my friends, they're terrible, I'm a good person. Well, that's a little eleven coming in there and, and trusting in your human doing good and listen, it, it's all... Just dirty rats compared to the purity, holiness, and perfection of God. You want to trust and rely totally that it's the righteousness of God that makes you right standing with God Himself. Let's go on to another key of the gospel. Jesus has got his disciples around him, and they've been with you know they've gotten to know each now each other for a couple years now. And he asks them this question: Who do you say? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they start throwing him a bunch of these you know really great guys who have already died. John the Baptist had recently died. Maybe he was him come back. Maybe Elijah, who was an Old Testament guy, died. Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says, "Well, who do you say that I am?" And Simon Peter who was one to, uh, you know, kind of speak up and get bold and stuff. He's, let's look at verse 16 and 17. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, just to clear it up, I mean, this can't be an honest mistake. Jesus Christ, Jesus is his first name. Christ is not his last name. Christ means it's the Greek word for anointed one, chosen one. The the Hebrew word would be Messiah. He's the Savior that we need, that we're looking for. And The Hebrews, the Jews, had had a belief that they needed a Savior, a Messiah, to come rescue them from the current bondage of Rome and get, uh, have military victories and be, have a king again that could rule all the land in the Middle East, or at least in their borders. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, this idea of a chosen one, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a real kind of need in our heart. It's a hope that we have. We look at our communities, we look at our friends, we look at ourselves, 
man, I can't even help myself. My school is going, you know, down like crazy and our country's this and we need a savior. We need somebody. And it's really innate in our uh, own hearts and it comes out in stories, right? I mean, I looked at this up on Google and, and I haven't seen all these movies, but these movies have a chosen, uh, you know, role, a, a someone who's, who's sent to rescue everybody. And, and, of course, in most stories you hear, there's a hero in the story, but here's what an actual chosen one. Avatar has that. The Lego movie, which is so funny. I love that. I didn't see some of these. The Terminator is supposedly chosen. Harry Potter has a chosen. The Matrix has a chosen. The Homan, the Hunger Games has a chosen. One of my favorites, the Lord of the Rings, you could say Frodo's chosen. Uh, but then you have the king that uh, 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 at the end, end who's chosen. Star Wars has a chosen. Anakin kind of went bad and went the wrong direction. Bummer deal. Dune is a new movie that's out. It's going to be a trilogy. They have a chosen one. My favorite of all times, Disney's Kung Fu Panda is a chosen one. Skadoosh. I do. I really do love Kung Fu Panda. I really do. I'm not kidding. It's just, I didn't see those movies just with the kids. I mean, I love the Kung Fu Panda movies. And so what's so unusual, though, is that Jesus said, you didn't get this, Peter. This was revealed to you by my father. And that's essential for the gospel. So key number two is revealing of the real Jesus by the father through the spirit of God. This is an experience with God Almighty. You can have a lot of revelation, I mean, a lot of knowledge about the Bible. You can grow up in church. You can, uh, you know, your mom can, you know, tell you, read you a bunch of Bible stories, and that's great. Knowledge is good. But until you have a revelation where you and God, He reveals it to you, and you see for like the first time, even though you had it in your head, it's like, yes, Lord, I believe, I see you are the Savior. You're the one that I, I long for, that I want. And you see it, and it's, it's a, it's a big word, revelation, but it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing that happens between you and God. It's beyond head knowledge, and it gets into a heart, deep spiritual experience in you, a real experience here. That is the key of the gospel. Just getting knowledge is not enough. And so, unfortunately, it can happen. People can sit in a chair in the sanctuary pew for years and think everything's fine, and they're just gaining more knowledge, and they really haven't made a choice themselves to say, yes, I believe this is what I want. And they don't have this spiritual interaction with God the Father through His Son. So, that's key number two. You've got to have a revelation. All right, Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. An important piece of the gospel that Jesus wanted to grab early on. Verse 18 and 19 said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall, be, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. This is really interesting because it's saying, hey, this revelation that you receive now gives you authority over the devil. Bye, Thomases. Love you guys. Great seeing you. We, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Love you guys. So, the gates of Hades will not overpower us, the church. Gates in these times represent authority. When, where there was authority in a village, the leaders went to the gates. So this is saying, church, listen, you have authority over hell, over the devil. Church, you can actually grow the church. You can grow the kingdom of light through and overcome the kingdom of darkness. You have now keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so what you bind on earth shall also be bound in heaven. 
And what you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And so this, this is important. And the charismatic movement helped bring this to reality back in the 70s and 80s. And it's point number three. That this revelation that Jesus is a Messiah is the beginning of real authority to overcome the devil and his demons on the earth. And so now you have authority, not just passivity. Because sometimes the prayers that we might have used to pray back in the day was, God, wow, really been a rough day, and what's happening right now in my family? And, you know, I guess, you know, whatever happens, may your will be done. And the phrase, may your will be done, is not a bad phrase. But it's done in the spirit of just, uh, you know, I, I can't do anything about this. It's just... Whatever happens, happens. No, he says, you're a partner with me. I give you authority. Pray about this. What's going on right now? Are there demons attacking? There's demons attacking one way or the, another, I'm sure. I mean, the demons love to tempt. The love, love to attack. Pray about, Lord, how do I pray? Would even right now, if you're, uh, you know, watching and you're in Ukraine or Russia, it's awful. I can't imagine. But yet, your day to day, you can say, Lord, how do you want me to pray? And God will lead you and give you authority over certain things to pray about. To take a stand. That's what he says when you put on the full armor of God. He says, stand firm then. Don't just resolve yourself, whatever happens, happens. No, listen, you have authority. You partner with God's work in your day, in your family, in your job, in your ministry. Let him lead you in prayer. Pray according to God's word and believe. All right, we're going to keep moving here. A couple more, and then I'm going to close out. So, if you know Peter's kind of character and the way he rolled, he was bold. And he got that revelation, and he spoke it. He was the first one. I mean, isn't this awesome? He said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You're a rock. This revelation that... God is, that I'm the Messiah, that's, that's where I'm going to build my church. Man, good boy, boy. way to go, come on, yeah. High five and it, fist bump, hugs. And then the next paragraph, Jesus starts talking about how he's going to uh, be betrayed, how he's going to suffer, and how he's going to die. And this is what's going to be unfolding here over the next number of months. And Peter says, uh, you know, he's bold, right? And he just did a attaboy, so he's like built up. He actually rebukes Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And in the next verse, verse 23, this is how Jesus responded to that. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stomach block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, interests, but man's. And so unfortunately, Peter was on a roll, but it didn't last very long. Now he's actually a temptation to his Messiah, his best friend, and his, his rabbi teacher. He's a temptation to him. Because Jesus has been on obeying what the Father says to do. He's been on obedience, and it doesn't matter how bad the suffering gets, even to the point of death, he is going to obey his father through to the end. And Peter's saying, no, 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 that's not going to happen to you. You're going to, we're going to have more followers. We're going to have to get power. You're going to be a ruler again. This is, you know, you're, going to, you're going to rule our, our nation, and we're going to overcome Rome. And so here's a key to the gospel. Number four, God's plans are not devoid of suffering. He de delivers us from suffering and sometimes through suffering. And those are, that's God's way more than we like to admit. And sometimes us as charismatics, we are, are wanting to pray away suffering, pray away pain, pray away uh, the hard times. And yes, when you obey God and to follow Him in, in spirit-led prayer, God can change those things, but many things, He's going to walk us through it, and that's when His resur resur resurrection power shines through. That in the suffering, there becomes redemption. There, there, there 
becomes restoration. Last one, and this is an important one. He gives us more understanding of what the gospel does to us and for us. Verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. So the fifth key out of Matthew 16 is deny yourself, lose your life, and you will find his life. God is looking for us to be obedient. He's created us for good works. Good works doesn't give us righteousness. It doesn't make us better than anybody else. We're just obeying him and how he's creating us and leading to us. And we glorify those are purposes on the earth. We, he gives us, He's created us to do good work. So that's our purpose. We aren't any more righteous for it, but the obedience is how we love Him back. And unfortunately, many people in a situation like in America are nominal Christians because life is easy. Right now in Russia and Ukraine, uh, the nominal Christians have been weeded out in the nature of persecution, the nature of crisis and hardship. You have to choose, am I going to trust myself with my life or I'm willing to lose it so I'll have his life? And sometimes there's even this discussion, I don't think it's even biblical, but sometimes it helps us, you know, uh, uh, you know figure this thing out. The true gospel isn't just that he's your savior, but he's also your Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, When you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that He rose from the the grave, then you know you'll be saved. And Christians in Rome, they had a hard time saying Jesus is Lord sometimes because they were supposed to say Caesar is Lord. And if they said Jesus is Lord instead, they could have been arrested. They could have been... Uh, they could have been tortured. They could have been persecuted or killed. And so sometimes we say, you know, have you, maybe you've just made Jesus your Savior, but not your Lord. You've trusted Him because you need Him, and you go on Sundays, but the other six days of the week, uh, they are, you, you kind of just do your own thing, and then on Sundays you're back on it again, and then, you know, you kind of, now I'm back to myself again. Or maybe you live a double life where at home uh, you're, you're uh, you know, Mr. Evil, you know, at home and at, at work and church. You're all smiling and nice and everything. And you're, you compartmentalize where Jesus is. No, listen, the gospel, Jesus says, is you take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. This is every day. If you want my life, you have to lose your life. You have to give it away. It's not a nominal, average, medium, you know, uh, Christian decision. This is a, you give your whole life to me and I'll lead you and empower you toward obedience. Holy Spirit, have your way right now in us. We want the true gospel. We want the biblical gospel. We want your whole word, Lord. And Lord, we want your heart for the nations and peoples of the world. It said in Revelation that your blood was bought and purchased for all the peoples and all the nations of of the earth. So Lord, may we have your heart. May we think like you think. As I was praying about going to Kurdistan and trying to discern the the will of the Lord there. When I went to Scripture, it was yelling at me, yes! Preach the gospel to all creatures. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
There's this open door in a place you've never been. There's unreached people groups there. And I just, I said, Lord, why, why would I say no? Why, why would I say no, Lord? Yet there's a call on us to go. Lord, we pray that we are obedient to go. For me on Friday, it's overseas. But on today, tomorrow, I won't be overseas. But you still send me to go. May we have that mentality that you've given us this gospel in our hearts and lives that transforms others when they get that revelation from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So may we say yes today and tomorrow, wherever we are, to, be, to being like missionaries sent to step out in love and live your gospel, show your gospel, and share your gospel. I'm going to um, let them get started. Is let's make available a salvation prayer for anyone that's watching online or here today. So if you're saying, I, I haven't fully understood the true gospel, the biblical gospel, or I've just been away for a long time. I had some head knowledge, but not really a revelation where I chose and I see who Jesus is, then why don't you pray this prayer after me? Could everyone say this after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I want the true gospel in my heart. I don't want to be far away from you any longer. I choose you. I say yes to your gospel. Come into my heart. I turn from my sin. And I turn to you. I believe that you rose from the grave. And I see you as my chosen one. my rescuer now and in eternity saving me from hell from your judgment and giving me your life thank you for your life amen if you prayed that prayer tell someone because we want to encourage you we want to disciple you and be part of your spiritual growth love you have a great week you are blessed and go with the true gospel of jesus christ